0: Huge surge in repo fails. Swap spreads going even more negative, some to record lows. Dealers are hoarding coupons. BTFP use is skyrocketing yet again. And banks in the United States are dropping the hammer on lending. We've got major monetary indications, including collateral, that are all over the place. And they're not good. Now, the economy is a train wreck, according to latest labor market data, and that's only part of it. Maybe even more important than that some of the stuff we're starting to get from the monetary system itself. While everyone was focused on SOFR at year end, which didn't mean anything, the real monetary system appeared to have been going haywire. And that haywire has continued into January, 2024. As I mentioned, repo fails absolutely surged. That's a good place to start thinking about what the monetary system is doing more recently. Repo fails the week of December 20th, had surged to 356 billion combined. That was 188 billion to receive and 168 billion to deliver. In 356 billion, that was the most since October of 2022. That was more than at any point during the March and April banking crisis. But repo fails—they were not done. The final week in December of 2023, repo fails increased yet again to 417 billion. And that was the most since October 5th of 2020. So huge repo fails to the end of the year. Unlike the increase in SOFR, which has a year-end window dressing explanation, there is no window dressing or year-end pattern related to repo fails. You go back to 2022, for example, at the end of 2022, repo fails were largely in line to end that year. At the end of 2021, repo fails were down a little bit at the end of the year, but there is no seasonal pattern with fails. Now fails are a quirky indication where it comes to collateral. They're not straightforward. They're not always a continuous signal of distress. They sort of hit and run. And if that's the case, then there was a major hit to collateral at the end of last year. So that leaves us beginning 2024 questioning what must be going on. Now, one thing that is going on that we do know the Treasury Department is cutting back on the supply of front-end bills. It's not a huge amount, but you go back to the middle of November, Treasury was selling $95 billion in four-week bills, along with $85 billion in eight-week bills. In December, that was scaled back to $80 billion in four-week bills and $80 billion in eight-week bills. So these are not huge amounts, but they also don't help. While the fewer bills don't explain what we're seeing in collateral, as we'll get into some of the more details here, they do they do signal more more of a negative constraint than we would actually like to see at this particular time, given what's happening everywhere else. Revo fails are a clear sign that there's some form of disruption in the flow of not money and credit, but in this case, financial instruments that are used as collateral to more than grease the wheels of the euro dollar system. When collateral stops flowing, fails start to pile up That usually corresponds with more negative deflationary outcomes across the entire system. When fails pile up and skyrocket to this level, more often than not, that's a clear indication of substantial significant trouble. That means we should start investigating what's actually happening. Fails are not in and of themselves a conclusive signal, but they are a good place to start. Now, at University, we just put together a report on how to spot collateral shortages and what it means, including going back to September and October of 2022 and putting together some pieces of what actually happened there. Most people don't realize that was a collateral episode. Do you want to know what the signs are for a collateral shortage? What happens when we go through these periods? There's a link in the description to get your hands on that report. One indication that's related to collateral conditions, oftentimes strongly correlated with them, that's interest rate swaps and swap spreads. A swap spread, of course, is the fixed leg of the interest rate swap compared to the U.S. Treasury. And really since 2008 and 2009, swap spreads have been largely negative, which means that receiving a fixed payment from an interest rate swap, you actually get less than you would if you were holding a U.S. Treasury coupon, which opens up a whole bunch of can of worms about what that actually means. It doesn't mean that the marketplace is thinking the US government is more risky than engaging in an interest rate swap. It tells you something important about monetary constraints, dealer, dealer constraints and balance sheet problems in the monetary system. Now, swap spreads had turned more negative in late July and August, but they really started to show up and really started to make noise. August 29th, moving forward into September, which is something we keep coming back to. Something big seems to have changed in the real economy, in the monetary system during September and October. So while the long end of the bond market in Treasuries and other places around the world would continue to sell off because it was September, what swap spreads were saying is that the monetary conditions were were likely to lead to increased demand for safety and liquidity once September faded away, which it did early in October in European bonds, in the middle of October for treasuries, and later October for Japanese government bonds. But swap spreads were an indication that monetary conditions were turning negative, that we would see bond yields go lower fundamentally, not just for the economy, but also deflationary potential, including collateral. And swap spreads just recently have made another aggressive move, even more negative, plumbing new depths. The five-year, even the five-year has gotten really negative. As of Friday, that was minus 34.8 basis points. Just a reminder: these are sofer spreads because obviously LIBOR is no longer fixed. We don't have LIBOR spreads, and we can make some rough comparison between the sofer-based interest rate swap spreads and their predecessors, which were based on LIBOR. Just do a little bit of an adjustment. It's not exact. It's not perfect, but it's relatively, it's, it's good enough for our purposes here. And what you see is that these recent SOFR-based spreads that have really fallen off a cliff over the last four months of 2023 and now beginning 2024, they relate to periods like 2016, when we were worried about the Chinese economy completely falling apart, or late 2008-2009, when swap spreads first turned negative. That's how aggressive the signal has been from interest rate swaps. And again, I'm not making direct comparisons to 2008, 2009, merely pointing out that swap spreads do correspond, especially when they become more negative. They do correspond with a whole bunch of other signals, including repo fails on average, as well as some other ones that we'll get into here. But essentially swap spreads tied in with dealer balance sheet constraints, collateral problems, negative spreads becoming more negative, not a good sign the 10-year spread which is the one has been where most of the focus has been concentrated the 10-year spread as of friday minus 43.6 that's a new low for that one even the 30-year swap spread which had been in a been kind of stuck in a range going sideways since august that one as of friday dropped a little bit below to a new multi-month low of 73 and a half basis points again the major factors driving swap spread lower That's gonna be collateral indication. So likely related to what we're seeing in repo fails. Also again, dealer balance sheet constraints. When dealers can't meet the increased need for hedging, that means the hedgers are willing to pay a bigger premium in the form of receiving a lower fixed rate payment, therefore more negative swap spread for getting the hedging from the dealer. The dealer needs a little bit more incentive to take on the risk of uh, taking the other side of an interest rate swap. So essentially it tells us everything we wanna know fundamentally about the monetary system. Again, more negative swap spreads do indeed correlate with a whole bunch of other deflationary indications. Again, only starting with repo fails. One of the best correlations with interest rate swap spreads is dealer holdings of US treasury coupons. Now many people have tried to dismiss both swap spreads and dealer holdings of coupons as too many treasuries, that the government has supplied too many treasuries into the marketplace. And what ends up happening is money dealers get stuck having too many treasuries. Therefore, their balance sheets become constrained and they can't They they have to hedge more as well as they can't respond to needs in the marketplace. When demand for hedging goes up, therefore swap spreads become more negative. This is something you hear all the time from academics who don't have another reason for why swap spreads in particular have been persistently negative, nor why they have been persistently negative since the time they turned negative late in 2008, which is your first clue. What was going on in October and November, 2008? A global monetary crisis. But since we're not allowed to talk about a global monetary crisis because most academics are beholden to the Fed and the Fed sure as hell doesn't want you to believe there's a monetary crisis or a dollar shortage, they're looking for other example or for other explanations for why swap spread would continue to be negative. And they found treasury supply even though that doesn't really make sense. One reason why you see treasury coupon holdings that dealers and swap spreads put together in so many cases is because there is an obvious correlation there. One thing you can say for certain, whatever the reason is, swap spreads go negative. Dealers tend to hold more coupons. And so we need to figure out what it is that's causing for dealers to hold more coupons and therefore how that must relate to swap spreads. And if dealers are stuck holding US treasuries, it sounds plausible, but it actually isn't. And this is something I just covered recently in a deep dive analysis. Why is that not plausible? That's what we went over in that deep dive analysis. And the short answer here is because at times like now, when we see dealers hoarding more coupons, there's no reason why they're forced to do so. That's really what you have to believe. In order to believe the dealers are getting stuck with Treasury's explanation, you have to also believe that dealers are holding these, these financial instruments, these Treasury bonds, that are unable to sell them into the marketplace, which... Over the last couple weeks, certainly the last couple months, that's just complete and utter nonsense. So what we've seen is while interest rate swaps have gone down, interest rate swap spreads have gone down, repo fails have surged the final two weeks in December in particular, dealer holdings of U.S. Treasury coupons that they have to finance and they report to FRB and Y, those have surged the final two weeks in December as well by $12.5 billion from 148 billion in total coupons to 161 billion by the end of the year. And nearly all of that increase was in the the front to middle part of the curve. Remember, this is just coupons, this is not treasury bills. So we're talking about the two year, three year, four year, five year, and a little bit further out. So front part of the yield curve is where dealers have been concentrating. And as you'll note, they would have absolutely no trouble selling these treasuries at that part of the curve because the marketplace is is huge demand for those instruments. So as far as dealers are concerned, if they're holding US coupons or US treasury coupons, especially two year, they're doing so because they don't want to sell it into the marketplace. And that's really where this narrative of too many treasury always falls apart. Because you can can correlate that with rising demand for safety and liquidity, including in the form of buying U.S. Treasuries among the public. Dealers are not forced to hold U.S. Treasury instruments. They're choosing to do so. Now, why would they choose to do so? Well, just briefly here, I'll read you a quote from a report from July 1999 from IOSCO, which basically mentions securities lending. Financial firms such as banks and broker-dealers also lend securities. For the most part, this is for on-lending as either agent or principal in a number of larger securities houses. This activity has developed beyond an extension to the firm's basic inventory management process and has become a significant business in its own right, securities lending business that everybody does. Such business may either provide a customer service or enable a firm to exploit market opportunities on a proprietary basis, not so much anymore. A financial institution may, for example, and this is the important part, borrow or hold securities in the expectation that others will shortly be prepared to pay more to borrow them. So we got swap spreads going negative, you got dealers hoarding more coupons at the same time repo fails go way up. Why might dealers be holding more coupons? Not because the government is supplying more. It's because they see collateral being disrupted in the marketplace. And one set of dealers is saying, I've got a profit opportunity here. I want to hold more. I want to borrow more so that I have them in inventory. Because those who are on the short end of the collateral stick here are going to be willing to pay a lot more if if I have the treasuries in my hands. Another subset of dealers are on the other side of this where being stuck short of collateral, they decide they're gonna hold a larger balance on their own so they're not depending upon a disrupted marketplace to try to continue to do all the things that dealers do with collateral and securities lending. Went over this in more detail at a deep dive analysis, but essentially collateral shortage. All of these things are linked together. One other factor that has come up that is somewhat linked to all of these things, the BTFP. The BTFP has, has absolutely surged from 113.9 billion the week of November 29th to 141.2 billion as of January 3rd. And what you hear across the financial media and social media in particular is that who cares? This is no big deal. This is nothing more than a bank arbitrage. And while that's true to an extent, that's missing the point. Now as far as the bank arbitrage go, what the Federal Reserve charges to participate in the BTFP to borrow funds from the Fed is something called OAS plus a spread. And the OAS has been going lower. It's actually a 12 month OAS has been going lower as forward interest rates have been going lower, looking at 2024 as an utter and complete mess and understanding the Fed is going to need to cut rates. In addition to the fact that Federal Reserve has come out and said, we're going to cut rates. So forward OAS has gone way down, which means if you're a depository institution, You can borrow funds from the Fed at its BTFP window at a low rate relative to then holding the reserves that you're going to borrow and just getting IOR. So you're essentially borrowing reserves from the Fed and then sticking them and not really relending them to the Fed, but holding them and the Fed will pay you a higher rate. You're borrowing lower and, and getting a higher rate all from the Federal Reserve. So this is completely, totally riskless. So everybody says, just BTFP, ignore it. It's just arbitrage. But that is such two-dimensional thinking. We have to ask ourselves, why are banks doing this in a constrained environment? If they're balance sheet constrained, everything, even a risk-free arbitrage, is not cost-free, opportunity cost-free. Because what you're getting in arbitrage isn't a huge amount. These are just pennies from the Federal Reserve. And what we know for a fact is that banks are not doing things that would give them higher rates of return, such as lending, as I'll go over in just a moment. So as banks are using more and more free money from the Fed, they're doing less and less stuff that we need them to do in the real economy that would pay them a hell of a lot more to do so if they would actually do. If the economy was robust, if if we were seeing strong and resilient, why aren't they lending? Why are they instead picking up pennies from the Federal Reserve, risk-free pennies from the Federal Reserve? That alone tells us something important. It's the same thing that we're seeing from all of the rest of these monetary and financial indications from swap spreads on down. The environment is becoming increasingly risky, therefore more interest and more demand for the least risky opportunities, which is the BTFP and its arbitrage opportunity. As I mentioned from the Federal Reserve's own statistics, the H8 figures, what are banks not doing while they're picking up pennies from the Fed? They are not lending. They are hoarding cash. They continue to hoard cash. Since August 23rd, so really the week of August 30th, the same week that swap spread started to turn really negative, banks have increased their cash holdings by almost $300 billion during that time period, including $68 billion during the month of November alone. They continue to build up a cash cushion. Lesson of Bear Stearns here. At the same time, they're arbitraging the Federal Reserve BTFP window. Lending has been down in all four weeks of December. $21.5 $21.5 billion, that's the decline. $15.3 billion in the final week while collateral is going haywire and repo fails. We see commercial industrial loans go down yet again. That's one that's been declining all year. Even consumer loans, which bounce back a little bit, just $300 million in the final week of December, those were down $5 billion the week before, and they have been down on a small basis since the early part of November. And banks, by the way, have added to their treasury holdings. They've been big buyers of U.S. Treasury here. Treasury holdings and bank credit have increased by more than $113 billion during the month of December. So you put all of these pieces together, including the BTFP's arbitrage. What does it tell you? It tells you the monetary system is sending clear signals of, th- of problems. Repo fails surging. Swap spreads becoming more negative. Dealers hoarding coupons. All of those related to collateral. A banking system interested in risk-free money only from the Federal Reserve. They're not lending in the real economy. What does it all add up to? Perceptions of risk, perceptions of safety. Banks only wanna do safe and liquid because liquidity looks bad and the real economy does not look good either. You put all of these things together and they suggest why Interest rates, why bond markets have been rallying. Interest rates have gone so much lower. Safety and liquidity. These are the themes all across all of these things. And in late December, they seem to step it up a notch or two in almost every single fashion. So it's not just the labor market that appears to be cracking. We also have to worry about collateral. We have to worry about banking. We have to worry about global monetary deflation. Deflation, recession, deflationary recession. If you want to know more signs about a collateral shortage, check out the link in the description for our report on it. I also did a video on securities lending. That's the one linked below me here. As always, I thank you very much for joining me. Huge thank you, Eurodahl University members and subscribers. And until next time, take care.